who I am. My name is Dave Zarmack. I'm one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor, Derek Harmon, and his family are on their first ever sabbatical uh, since they started this church a long time ago. They've, ne- they've never done a sabbatical. It's about six to eight weeks that they'll be out. Much needed. They're getting lots of rest, having fun, but we miss them. I know I miss them. Uh, he has a big job. I'm realizing that now that he's not here. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's exciting for them, and I'm sure they're going to come back jumping around like me and Leslie uh, after they've been recharged. But uh, we, summer's been awesome. Oh, I know I've got up here, and I've hated on social media. And I'm sorry about that, but not really sorry about that. But the social media stuff of seeing Ocean City People Church at Gonzales Park together on the 4th of July, feeding the homeless, was awesome. I was very proud to say that this is what my people at Ocean City do. It was super cool. I'm proud. For those that you showed up, that was, it was awesome. Like Leslie said, we're going to have more stuff like that coming up. But we've had, it's been a crazy summer. It's been raining a lot. We already have hurricanes and stuff. Yay, you know. Um, but we've been in a summer series, the book of James, and we've made it through one whole chapter so far. And I've got good news. We are not going to be in the second chapter today. I looked at that, and I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. I'll leave that for somebody else. Um, I'm kidding. I, it is kind of intimidating. You'll see whoever starts chapter two. But I want to talk about teenagers, young people today, because if you don't know, tomorrow morning, close to 40 of our youth are headed to Passion uh, Conference in Daytona Beach. I guess they're passionate about the trip. <laughs> Those jokes are dumb, but you still laughed. Uh, Maybe because you realize that I would feel bad if you didn't laugh. But yeah, so they're going tomorrow. I'm going. I need prayer. Uh, I'm old, and that's a lot of young people, and I don't have patience like I used to. So pray for me. I'm just kidding. Pray for them. Pray for me. Um, So it's exciting. And if you don't know, our church, Ocean City, has been going for many, many years, and the kids always come back fired up for the things of God, right? And, and, and that's what we want here. And, and they've been doing it year after year after year. And I just wanna say something about Mary Beth Dell this morning. If you don't know who she is, she's sitting right here. She has been leading and loving our young people for many years now. She does it with a smile. She does it with grace. She's patient. Um, and she loves these kids, man. And she has loved my children very well. And Sarah would say the same thing. I'm very grateful to have you in their life, but also in mine. Uh, you've been inspiring, and uh, we're very grateful to have you here at Ocean City, being, being the person that you are and loving these teens. She's awesome. Youth ministry is kind of a thankless job. I did it for many years. There's a lot of expectations, and nobody ever says anything to you. It's like have, youth ministry is like having a church that every four years, every single person is different in your church. Or maybe three and a half. It's like, oh, boom, college, new church, you know. It's hard. It takes, you put a lot of effort into relationships and then they leave you. Or maybe that's like regular church. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bad joke again. But um, so uh, she, a lot, she, also she just had her first baby. Um, he's super cute. You saw him. I would bet money if you talk to this little guy. How old is he? Seven months. He will smile at you. He's like a baby doll that smiles uh, he's just a happy kid, super cute. But not only are the youth going to Passion, Passion uh, Conference in Daytona, a few weeks after, a large portion of the youth are going on a mission trip to Costa Rica, like uh, Leslie was talking about, a 6-8. So a lot of good stuff is happening with our young people here at church. But, uh, you know, I, I wanna, there's a couple things I want to do. I kind of want to challenge us, but also inspire us to not just let Mary Beth 
love and lead the kids, but to us, the followers of Jesus, those that claim that we want to be disciples and make disciples and share our faith, that we too would get involved in teenagers' lives because they need it. They really need it. Like, this is a crazy time. Like, remember when you were a teenager, uh, between 12 and 18, it's probably the craziest time in your human existence, right? Like, you, the girls grow tall first, and it's weird for the boys, and then the boys catch up, and they have the squeaky voice, hey, hey, and uh, hair is growing in weird places, armpits and other stuff like that. Um, there's these things that in our little bodies were dormant for like a long time, and then we hit this age, and they're called hormones, and they're just raging for no reason. They're not sure what to do with the feelings of these hormones and nobody can explain anything to you. And uh, it's crazy, right? New responsibilities are coming your way, like freedom that you've never experienced is happening to you. Like if you're a beach, if you grew up at the beach, one of the first real feelings of freedom these kids get is the bicycle. They, beach kids go out like on bike packs and they just live life. You know, like they're just riding all over the beach, surfing, fishing. What girls do, I'm not sure, you have to ask them. Uh, but my teenage boys, I remember Asher, and Kennedy's there now. He's 16, Asher's 19. But when Asher was 8th and 9th and into 10th grade, that dude was putting like 40, 50 miles a week on his bike, just living, you know, doing it. And then that new experience comes where you start to learn how to drive a car. As soon as he got behind the wheel of that, he was like, he got his license. And I remember he told me, he's like, I'm never riding a bike ever again because <laughs> it's so hot here. And he's been pretty true to that. He has only rode his bike, I think, on 4th of July. That's it. And Kennedy's right there. I've been, if you were, hey, kids, um, not your teens, teaching you how to drive is terrible. Kennedy, Kennedy's doing a great job. He's about to get his license, but it is terrifying. Like, he, this the other day, he's like, you make me really nervous when you're grabbing that handle thing up there all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, that's because I'm terrified. <laughs> this thing weighs like 5,000 pounds of metal and you're gonna, you can crash into stuff. I hate it. I mean, you're doing a great job, you know, like, terrible teacher. Like, what kid wants to go with their dad when he's just like, oh, oh my God, slow down, you know, like screaming at him the whole time, and he's just like, I can't, he wants to get out of the car. How's he supposed to learn? But just recently, he's been doing the 40, 50 mile thing on the bike, and he realizes it's 4,000 degrees outside, and he's been asking us to drive him around. Kaylee's already 16, so he asked her too, and I'm like, why don't you just take the bike, man? And he's like, it's too hot. I don't want to be on the bike anymore. But the freedoms, the driving, the freedoms that come with driving. How about summer jobs or school, our first jobs where we have our own money? You know, like you made, you earned your own paycheck and you realize this is it. They only give you like $80. I worked really hard back in those groceries and I got 60 bucks. You know, like those feelings. Kaylee and Sadie are much more frugal with their money, but I've noticed my boys, they get paychecks and then they buy food which hurts my feelings. Like, we feed you. There's food here. You're blowing all your money. Like, oh, I want the Grom or Pita Pit is the best. Like, it's some kind of magical food. I'm like, all right. It's your money. You're right. You know, you get to decide. Like, stuff like that starts coming your way. Um, how about your first feelings of true love? Oh, my God. She's so beautiful. He's so handsome with all those braces in his mouth. And <laughs> that zit he just popped on his forehead. It's gone. Teenage, I, uh, teenage, teenage time is crazy, man. You're, how about the feelings of heartbreak, the first feelings of the love not being reciprocated and your heart is just broken? It's terrible. New fears, new problems, new stress are laid before you that can't be fixed instantly like when you were a child. Uh, nobody told me this, and I, I guess I didn't get the parenting handbook. Uh, when you have your first kid, there's not one. Um, but when my kids were little, like, there was nothing that would happen that they would bring to me that I couldn't, like, almost instantaneously fix. Like, they had a problem. It's like, boom, dad, awesome, done, no issues. 
But what they don't tell you is your kids will always be your children, but when they reach this age, they also turn into humans. And human beings have problems. Regardless of the environment that you raised them in, humans have problems, and most of these problems can't be fixed in an instant, right? Like there's things they're having to learn how to walk through to get the solution, and it's hard. And that's, these are their first experiences with stress and anxiety. But see, at the same time, it's also awesome. Hopes and dreams are starting to seem real. Like I could go, the things I've always dreamed of, I think maybe I could attain them. The future looks bright, like they're, they're spreading their wings, that whole thing. We all did it, you know, you spread your wings. Um, but they're trying to live, you know, they're trying to figure out like how they're gonna take care of themselves. College, no college. We've all been in this place, right? I remember Asher was in the 11th grade and uh, he was working on an economics project where they had to make a budget. And he was like, hey, dad, uh, I'm working on this, but we have to do a monthly budget for economics and I'm doing the grocery bill. So uh, how much do you think you spend a month at the grocery store? Like maybe two, 300 bucks a month? <laughs> we have four kids, or six people in our house. And I, was, I'm literally, I literally looked at him, I'm like, dude, Publix takes way more than that per week. And he was like, oh, like you could see like all the blood drain out of his face. Like, how am I ever gonna have children? I can't even feed myself. He didn't say any of that. But the reality of like all these things are coming at you and you know, and here's the craziest thing to me about this society we live in in America. We, we have conditioned our children from 12 to 18. All of this is gonna happen to you and when you're 18, we're calling you an adult. And you gotta have this all figured out. We're not gonna let you drink alcohol, but you can smoke a cig if you want. And you can buy it with your own money. Like, it's crazy. Like, they're still new. Like, things are still new and still their first steps of walking through it. I know. I'm old, but I still remember being a teen. For some people, go back and remember these moments. They're walking through it right now, but it really wasn't that long for us to go through these things. For some of us, it was the best time of your life. It was great. High school was awesome for you. For some, it was the worst. You didn't like it. You wouldn't go back. For some, it was filled with success in sports, academics, friendships, relationships. For others, it was filled with heartbreak, failure, struggles. But regardless, all of us were experiencing life. Life is beginning to happen. Uh, we're starting to work on our self-identity, identify who we are in the world. Our personal worldview begins to shake, take shape. So how we see, how we view things uh, that, are, that are around us in the world. And for every human being, regardless of when this happens in this part of your life right here, the reality of accountability begins to be born in you. Like you realize that you were responsible that, and that maybe your life has meaning and maybe, there's, maybe you're accountable to something bigger than just your parents and just yourself. And you start to ask these questions. This is the age when it's the most raw. When you start to ask things like, is there really a God? Whether you grew up in a Christian home or not, these things start to come on you hot and heavy. Is there a God? And what does this God want from me? Did God create me? Do I have purpose? What is my purpose in life? If there's a God in heaven who made me, what does, what does he want me to do with this life that I have? What is truth? What is truth? We're all seeking to know this thing that is like mystical truth. What is truth? Shoot, people have been asking that our whole existence. Remember uh, Pontius Pilate even asked Jesus that as he was fixing to go to the cross. He asked him, what is truth? These teenagers are asking that very raw they want to know in their heart of hearts. And how about this one? Probably the biggest one. Am I loved? 
Like, am I going to become an adult and is somebody going to just love me for me? Or do I have to be something that somebody will love? This is what they're going through. This is what they're feeling. And here's the thing. Us as the Christians, the followers of Christ, the, the body of Christ, we're supposed to be able to point these young people to those, the source of those questions, right? Like the things that have been on grandma's bathroom's wall, I'll explain in a second, that we've kind of, kind of lost their, their profoundness to us. These kids could hear for the first time from us, the body of Christ. How about this, Jeremiah 1.5? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Imagine the, the raw teenage heart hearing those words and contemplating. You mean, when I, before I even existed, you were forming me? That you set me apart for you because you love me? Jeremiah 29, 11, most famous one probably in grandma's bathroom. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future, right? They need to hear these messages. They need to hear about Jesus from us. They need to hear that Jesus saves, that he longs to save, that he longs to be near, that he longs to be close to you, that it will never change. You can walk this world for a long time and you will always be able to turn around and see the spirit of God beckoning you to the cross. This is what he is like. This is what he has done. It, he is good, right? We, the church, are supposed to tell our young people, are we not supposed to uh, share our faith and make disciples? Who better than them? They're right here with us. They're sitting there. Sorry, guys. They're sitting right there. That was dumb too. <laughs> but here, here's my contention. If we don't tell them as the body of Christ, if we are not sharing our faith, if we're not discipling these teens, the world is gonna tell them something else. We know this. We know that they will. We know they're gonna say, hey, don't worry about that God stuff. Follow these idols. Follow these things. These are the things will make you happy. These things will fill your heart with peace. And they're lies. Follow these idols, these go uh, uh, gods, knowledge, career, sex, love, money, success, drugs, alcohol, entertainment, whatever. Whatever the point is, just follow these half-truths, right? Because there's truth in some of those. The world is not filled completely with just evil. There's, there's truth that exists among the, hum the, hum the humans, Right, like let's just take love, relationships, and sex. God created it. Each one of us was designed to find that person and do the thing that happens that makes you have babies. And you like it, that's the way it should be. Right, but what the, wor what the world will tell them, the world will say, no, 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 do it this way. Don't worry about that. You can just do it however you want. And what does it do? It ends up lying to you, hurting you, and oftentimes enslaving you. Like, I know this stuff is intense, but like I said, the world is much, if you're over 20, I'll give it 27. The world that these kids are growing up in is way more intense, way more difficult than what you and I experienced. So I'm going to show you. It changed rapidly in a short amount of time. Imagine, go back to your teenage days and imagine everywhere you went all the time, there was a film crew filming your every move. They were taking pictures, videos of everything that you do, and then they were putting it online for everyone to see. And they, man, they're, they're hopefully, stuff you wish you didn't do has been documented all the time. There's no more privacy anymore. Shoot, imagine being a teenage girl in today's world. Every time you pick this thing up and you look at social media, you say, if you don't look like me, if you're not as thin as me, if you're not as pretty as me, you're not good enough. No one will love you enough unless you look like this. They walk around like that constantly trying to fight it, but it's there beckoning them, the idol, 
The gods of this world just calling them, pay attention to me, look at me, look at me, be like me. Can you imagine being a young person having this all the time, doing that to you? It's tough, man. Or how about, not even just that, how about the uh, self-esteem is hard enough, right? Like, I don't think I would have done well with social media and uh, these phone things, but social... uh, Can you, you know, think about just relationship building. These young people are not being given the tools that it takes to, like, build a healthy relationship. Like, when you, when I was younger, and I know I'm a geezer, but if you, well, if you liked the girl or you liked the boy, you'd get the phone number, and when you called it, the dad answered, right? (laughs) Or the mom, not them. Like, hello, and then you had to, like, hello, sir. Hello, ma'am. Like, if you want to, if you really liked her, you want to see her, you better, sir and ma'am, your way to the, you got to, you know, like, and you had, a plan had to be made, and you were going to go to the mall and walk around. I don't even think there's malls anymore. <laughs> Teens don't go to malls. Amazon killed them all. Like, there's no malls. They, right, there's malls. That's a bad joke, too, but no one really goes that much, you know. Uh, but really, like, they're not developing the skills. They're not building, they're not learning how to develop relationships because all they have to do is go like this. Their relationships are so superficial. There's no effort for them to get to connect with someone because they can just uh, like a photo. And now, oh, now we have a relationship. They don't. And this is, the, this is the thing that's happening to them. And information is coming at these young people too fast. It's hard enough for us to get it. Now they're being overloaded at the same time that they're growing into adults. They live in a tough world. It's too much for them. And it's harming them. It is harming them as a whole. It's harming them. How about this one? This one's going to sting a lot. Can you imagine, men, if at the teenage age you had access to pornography the way these kids do? You think you could fight it? Even when they try not to, we put all the safeguards on there. They go to any website and there's always an image that shows just enough that it's trying to entice you to look at it. Dude, lust and pornography has become an idol that demands everywhere they go, everywhere they look, anything they, anytime they click the button, it's big, it's look at me, look at me, be like me, do, do this, do that, be me, be this. Man, there is a lot on their little shoulders and they need hope. They need to hear the message of Jesus. Look at this, man. National Institute of Health, nearly one in three of adolescents age 13 to 18 will experience an anxiety disorder. Not just anxiety. This was from 2018. It's up 20% since the pandemic. Not just anxiety and not distress. Those things are normal. A disorder that needs to be treated, right? Like it's, this is so much on them that it's going into a disorder and if it gets left untreated, what? It turns into depression, and depression can lead to self-harm, and self-harm can lead to suicide. And this one's hard for me. This is from the suicide.org. Every 100 minutes, a teen takes their own life. So by the time we started this service, and we're going to end this service, there's a kid that's got all this stuff on him, and he's going to say, I have no hope, and he's going to end his life. And I know I'm upset, and I'm crying, but here's the reason. Just in June, I went on three calls to three different teenagers up with the fire department, they tried to kill themselves. They cut their wrists. They took the pills. We're standing in people's homes that I don't even know. And they're crying and you're seeing the devastation. You're seeing all the, the heartbreak and the hurt. I don't like that. It's hard. And I see this stuff even with our kids, our youth, these things taking shape. I've seen it with young people. There, there's one particular young per, uh, person 
um, that I found out. Everything looks good for her on the outside. Everything's going great, but she was struggling with depression. Bad. And I'm like, why? Why are you upset? Everything's good, but I don't know. I don't know what it's like to walk in her shoes, and I don't know what it's like to feel these things, but she needs to hear about the gospel. She needs to hear that Jesus saves, that he came, that he would literally walk that road to the mountain. He would go up to that cross just for you, just for them, that he was willing to give his life for them and their heartbreak and their sin to give them peace and make them new. Listen, all of us in this room were teenagers and all of us carry pains and scars from that time in our lives. But here's what I want you to think about now. The young people are going through that right now. And we have an opportunity to give them that maybe some of you never got. You never got to hear the gospel as a teen. Give them hope. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about freedom in Christ. Where are they going to hear besides in their home if they don't grow up in a Christian home that your life has meaning that God created you with a purpose? Where are they going to hear for the first time, like Luke 19 says, and this is Jesus talking to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. How are they gonna hear that? Who's gonna tell them, look, Jesus came all the way from heaven to seek you and save you. This is what he's like. He, is, he loves you. He longs to have a relationship with you. Where are they gonna hear that? Romans 10, 14. How can they hear about him? unless someone tells them. We the church, we the church, we should be telling them. We need to show them that we were created, you were created to worship Jesus, that when you worship God with all your heart, all your soul and your strength, when you give him your soul, that's what you were designed for. Peace and joy is available to you through worship like that, but when you worship the idols of the world, they may temporarily bring you some type of happiness, but ultimately they just pile on you and pile on you a weight that you cannot bear. And these, a lot of these young people in today's world are carrying it. Here's the thing, every person that's a Christian in this room has a right to say that to them. You're the ones with the beautiful feet, right? You have the, the beautiful feet of the gospel, Romans 15, 10, 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So every Christian in this room, everywhere these feet take you, you bring the good news, the beautiful message of the gospel, of how Jesus saves. We gotta tell them. All of you have walked the streets of life and found that something is missing without God. And let me, let me, I know I'm yelling a lot, but I get excited about this. Where's the one place in our society, the way that we function here in the United States, where this, this message is being preached consistently more than any other place? Yes, maybe in the home, but guess what, kids? Your parents have a hard time preaching at you because we're the biggest hypocrites you know. You guys see all of our failures. You see all of our things. And then we're like trying to tell you about Jesus. They don't want to hear from us then. But guess what? They've been listening to us the whole time. It's hard, right? Where are they going to hear? And why is this so crucial, this whole thing about a Wednesday night or a Sunday thing? Because our young people are in a seeking, pursuing mindset. They're looking, they're, you're, they're young and full of energy and want truth. And here's the thing, scripture's clear. When the seeking mind and the seeking heart converge, something amazing happens. Scripture says the door of our hearts open easily and we can allow God to come in and hear him say, Jeremiah again, man, he, he pretty much wrote this whole sermon. Uh, then, then you will call on me and come to pray to me and I will listen to you. God, doesn't a kid just want somebody to listen to him? 
Here's the God of the universe saying, if you come to me with all of your heart, I'm going to listen. This is what he's like. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. Some translations say enslavement. And if you look at that little tiny letter next to that word in your Bible, go down to the bottom. It's literally in quotations. It says, restore you. This is what God is like. He's like, bring me your heart. And all the stuff the world's been piling on you, I want to take it off. I want to take you out of that enslavement, that captivity, and I want to restore you. This is his desire. Sheesh. We need to tell our kids this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Uh, one of my best, but a good buddies, not best buddies, but close. We've been texting for a long time. His name's Jeff Flowers. Yesterday when I was at the fire station, he sent me that scripture and he said, hey, still don't know what this means. And I sent back, yeah, me neither. And he sent back, I'm still working on it. If you figure anything out, let me know. And I said back, 10-4, because that sounds cool when you say 10-4 back. But the point is, this is, what, this is what Jesus is like. I know everything in the world is not bad. It's still, there, there's goodness. We, we have opportunities to enjoy life. But here's the thing that you guys will figure out, and we've already figured out. At some point, your experience in this world can become cruel and harsh, and heavy weights will be put on you that you cannot bear alone without Jesus. And so the world become, can, be, can be harsh on you. But we need to be able to tell our young people, no, no, our God, Jesus He's gentle. He's humble. He's the opposite of everything you're experiencing, and he wants to give you rest. He wants to pull all those weights off your shoulders that the world is trying so hard for you to carry and let you carry his easy, easy yoke. This is Jesus. I said at the first service, the most powerful voices in our society should be the parents and the preachers pastors but there are so many voices coming at our kids it's not a once and done they need we, they need someone to spend time with them they need someone to show up in presence and be with them and love them not preach at them but just be next to them and spend time with them learn their name and encourage them obviously i'm very passionate about this subject i was a youth pastor but this church was founded by a youth pastor derek is very very passionate about youth ministry because he's seen what happens? And nobody would be better than Mary Beth to get up here and tell you stories of what she's seen. I've seen life change in my own family. I've seen kids come here over the last year and slowly watched as God is inching in on their hearts. But I want to tell you a few stories really quick, not from me being a youth pastor, but my experience by being involved in a youth group on a Wednesday night and how it changed my life. Three things. Number one, relationships were formed that became vital to my life. And still are. Number two, passion for God was ignited in me, specifically through youth worship. And number three, God used, there were many, but two specific youth leaders to make this happen in my life. Um, what I'm, these stories are not magical or earth-shaking. They, pro they probably won't even seem all that, they might even sound kind of plain to you. But let me tell you, because of these people, because they showed me their beautiful feet change the course of my life. I don't even know if I would still be standing up here yelling at you guys if it wasn't for just the little things that people did for me when I was a teenager. So real quickly, I'll give you a backstory. Uh, I was barely 15 when we moved here from Minnesota to uh, Florida. Yankee, redneck, don't mix well when you're a teenager. My parents moved here to try to start a business, and then a few months later, all the money was gone, and things went bad quick. 
parents' marriages was falling apart. Uh, we lived in Ponte Vedra, but, you know, everyone thinks if you live in Ponte Vedra, you're wealthy. But our electricity was constantly being turned off. And there were times where there wasn't any food in the refrigerator. We're just getting by. My parents were young parents when I was born. My dad was 19. My mom was 18. And uh, they, 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 we got to this stage, and the, the, the things were bad. Like, their marriage was falling apart, and they messed up. They screwed up. Like, they made some major mistakes. But hear this. They messed up, but they, they tried. They tried. That's all we're trying to do, guys. We're parents. We're just trying to love you. And my parents did the one thing, even in the midst of their chaos and their relationship ending and their own failures, they did the one thing they could think of, and that was to get us to a church because they knew we were hurting, and they didn't know what to do, and they brought us to a strip mall church, very similar to this one, probably a little bit smaller, right? And I am grateful for my mom and dad doing that because I don't know the direction my life would have been. We went to Nice High School. Uh, there was no PV or Bartram or anything back then. It was just big, giant Nice. And God, it was terrible. Just so you know, so you can know how I'm walking into youth group for the first time. I, I Football scene was over. I was hoping to make friends from, from football, but I didn't get a chance to do that. And I just, it was so difficult. And everything at the house was so bad. And I would literally just walk the whole halls during lunchtime of avoiding the cafeteria, looking for a quiet hallway spot to sit down and eat my lunch because I could not bear the thought of walking into that cafeteria and having to sit alone at the table. It was terrible. Loneliness was all over me at that age. It was no good. So we, my parents do the thing. They get us to youth group. And in a very short amount of time, I made a couple of friends. I made several friends, but I made a couple of friends that have been vital to this day to my life. One of them was a guy named Ben. His wife's in the room. His daughter's here too. Uh, ben and I became lifelong friends. Every major life event after our friendship, we shared almost at the same time. We got married within nine months of each other. We had children very close about the same. We, got, we transitioned into careers, in ministry, out of ministry. We've been through a lot together. He's been there for me. I've been there for him. Our wives would say very similar things. They're very important to me. And I might not have met him if I hadn't been in that room with him. I'm grateful for his friendship. God put him in my life. Another one of my buddies, Jimbo, uh, Jimbo, first time I met Jimbo, he had a cowboy hat on, surfer clothes. I walked up, I said, hi, my name's Dave. He said, I'm Jimbo. We've been friends ever since. <laughs> I mean, we've been through a lot together. I mean, the struggles of him trying to, you know, he turned into a godly man. He has been there for me and helped me with so many things that no one will ever know. And he just did it because he loved me and he loved God. And I, I tried to do things for him too. Uh, but I wasn't as good at it as Jimbo because Jimbo can do everything. He can fix everything. But I also met Sarah there. And I can still remember exactly what she was wearing. She had this little blue sundress thing on, no braces, and she was just, she was the cutest, most pretty thing I'd ever seen in my life. I was enamored, right? And uh, so this, this one particular youth leader, he was just a volunteer. His name was Rob Hutchinson. And uh, Rob was the coolest guy. He would show up early and just play catch with us. He'd be, we'd be out in the parking lot, and he was the course. So what made him so cool is he had just been the quarterback at East High School and graduated, and he was going to FSCJ preparing for his future. But he was there. He was a Christian, and he wanted to be with us kids and, and just love us, and he did. He'd show up early and, and play with us. And I remember this particular time Sarah was there, and I'm like, you know, everyone knows that if the girls are super impressed when you catch footballs. So I'm like, like, Rob could throw it so good, and I'm just like running towards where Sarah and her friends are like, I'm open. Oh, psh. 
making sure Sarah could see it showing off. And he was laughing. I'm like, what is he laughing about? That catch was sweet. But he knew what I was doing. You know, he's like, he's already laughing because he's like, I tried that. Girls are not impressed with the football catch. But you can keep on trying it if you want. But Rob would show up and show up and show up. And one time we were in a small group at church and my heart was beating. I'd never spoken up before. I was actually very shy at this age. I know that's hard to believe. You're a preacher guy. But I just, my heart was beating and I, and I, I spoke up for the first time in a small group. And he pulled me aside afterward and he goes, hey, you're hearing from God, Dave. Keep doing that. He doesn't know that that changed my life. Like I was struggling at home. Things were difficult. I was hurting and I was trying to find truth. I was trying to find God and he loved me enough to play catch with me and say, hey, there's a God. His name is Jesus. and Keep seeking him. I don't know if I would be standing here today if Rob didn't do that. He doesn't even know it. He lives in North Carolina now. Doesn't even know the impact he had by just throwing me a ball and learning my name and using a little bit of encouragement to point me to Christ. Very next summer, we went on our first mission trip to Mexico, Chihuahua, Mexico. Not my favorite smelling place in the world. I'll just say that about it. Super awesome experience, but now I'm, I'm very, I'm fired up for the things of God. And I remember on this trip in our room, Rob was our room leader. I'm just, I'm just digging through the Bible. Like I've never read it. And I remember reading the Old Testament for this first time. And I'm reading the book of Judges and I'm like, what? You can't even believe some of that's in the Bible. You're like, he did what with the sword? And it disappeared in the whole entire belly? You're like, I can't believe this was in the Bible. And Rob noticed this stuff, right? Rob was not the youth pastor. Rob was not the uh, leader of this event. That night after we'd done all our ministry, we had a little gathering and Rob stood up in front of everybody and he said, hey, I want all of you to know that Dave has had his nose in the Bible this whole trip, just digging his face in the scripture. He said, we need to do that. We need to do that. Man, just this almost 30 years ago and I still... I feel it the same now, like he loved me and he acknowledged that I was seeking and he pointed me with words of encouragement towards the cross. I love him and I'm grateful for him. My challenge is, I need, we need people like that for our young people on Wednesday. We have many. I'd love to acknowledge every single one of them. The Amy, the Christians, the Paytons, the Erics, the Chris Dells, um, Megan. So many people that no one ever acknowledges, but when you come and you love and you're there, you don't realize the impact you may be having on a young person's life. Another guy, so Rob goes off and starts his college life and his career. This other guy, kind of about the same time, is showing up at the same time. His name was Mike Tootin. Mike Tootin was famous around here, tall, super tan, buff, uh, and made surfboards. And apparently people in Ponte Vedra are good at footballs because he could throw the football awesome too. And Rob would, uh, Mike would show up, the same, do the same thing. He'd be out there with us, playing with us, asking people's names, didn't get his hurt feelings hurt if the eighth, eighth or ninth grade kid looked at him like he was crazy. Um, but, you know, he'd just keep on asking them. And here's the thing that, this is what Mike did. Mike would get in there in our little youth group, maybe 25, 30 of us, and the, the, the worship would start and Mike would be right there with us. This big, awesome looking dude just worshiping God with all of his heart. Like he was the only one in the room and it was just him and Jesus and we all saw it. And I can remember, I can remember being like, this is what it's like to, to be a follower of God. This is what worship like, is like. I can remember him putting his, week after week he'd show up, I can remember him worshiping, he'd pray for us. Nobody ever saw Mike. These guys weren't paid. These guys were special though. They were messengers of the gospel and they used footballs and words of encouragement to point me to Jesus and send me out in Jesus' name. 
They were building God's kingdom, and I'm not even sure they actually knew that. These were good men. They stored up treasures in heaven. And I'll tell you, they stored up a lot of treasure in heaven. And many of you that have served the youth have done the same thing too. Um, I'll say this. To this day, probably one of my closest that I can ever remember feeling the presence of God was in that little youth room. I can even remember the song, but I don't want to sing it because it's weird. Uh, it was like this song about dancing with God. I can't remember the name. But, I, but it, at the time, it fit, you know. Like the, this was like probably 94, 95 or something like that. But man, I just, I was worshiping and I could feel God just coming near me and just loving me and encouraging me and comforting me because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comforts. It's one of his roles. He's the great comforter. When you feel comfort from God, you know he's near. And uh, look at how God changed my life in a youth group on a Wednesday night with people that didn't, that didn't get recognized, but just were there because they were building the kingdom. And I've seen the impact on my kids, but also kids here. I've seen, I've got stories I could tell. I've seen kids come into this room that started out seeming uh, cold and indifferent and almost like their parents were making them be in there. And then over a course of six, eight months, you start seeing them raise their hands. I, don't, I can't tell you what that does to me when I see these kids that you think just they don't get it, they're not interested, and they become worshipers themselves. seen it in Kaylee. I've seen it in Kennedy and Sadie, my, my own children. Like I said, Mary Beth would be the best one to get up here and tell you about some of the things she's seen with our young people. And here's the, here's the challenge for this morning. My youth pastor, his name was Sean Yost. He's now the pastor at Christ Redeemer Church, which was the trip, strip mall church. He was the youth pastor then. But he said this almost 30 years ago, and I never forgot it. And that's all, you know, I, most times pre, nobody remembers what the preacher guy says. They just like the, the jokes about cigs and... Uh, alcohol, right? But this, this, he said this, and I never forgot it. And I'm going to tell you, and it's challenging. And Sean, he'll probably never hear this, but thank you. I never forgot it. And I, I, I appreciate you loving me. Luke 5, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every, every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was on Jesus to heal the sick. Verse 18 is the key. Some men came carrying, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. This is what Sean said. He said, we need to be those some men and those some women and those some parents and those some adults that are anchors in the church. We need to get these kids at, and these kids that are burdened with anxiety and depression and stress that are crippled by addiction already and, and, and hurt and pain and things they've suffered by the hands of others. We need to do whatever it takes to get them in front of Jesus so they can hear him say, I forgive sin. I long to forgive yours. I have the ability to make you whole. This life and the afterlife, I can give you rebirth. We need to be those kind of people. That's what we need to do. We need to share our faith with these young people. If you're an anchor here today and you've been one, I challenge you to get involved, with, get involved in a Wednesday night. We need more help. But if you're in this room and you're hearing that for the first time, 
for yourself. Like you've been around church and maybe you didn't have the youth group experience like I did, but all of a sudden you're hearing those words and you're, you're, you're realizing I'm hurt, I'm broke, I'm anxious, I'm depressed. I might not be a teenager anymore, but I am feeling the weight of this world. I'm lost, I'm struggling, I don't know what I believe. I need truth. God has a purpose for me and you're hearing those words for yourself. You, in this moment, are sensing the Spirit draw you, saying to you, your sins can be forgiven. Come to me. Give me your heart. Let me make you new. I am gentle and I am humble. This is what he's like. If that's you today, when we, when we begin to worship, open your heart to him. Remember the seeking mind and the seeking heart. When they converge, it opens the door to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes in. Father God, we worship you and we honor you and we thank you, God, that the creator of the universe that holds every star, every planet, every sun, holds them all effortlessly as they spin, who knows everything that exists, that has ever existed, that knows every hair on every head, who is so powerful, just his words create life and planets and stars, that this very God will use a football to point a team to Jesus. You're beautiful, God. Make our feet